This is Women With Books, a collection of conversations about your favorite books, media, and all of the fabulous things in life. Curated by me, author Lindsay Emery. I'm so glad you're a part of today's chat. Welcome to Women With Books. I have a guest with me today that I have been so excited to talk to because her book is so good, Soraya Wilson. Welcome, Soraya. I'm like waving, like I'm on a Zoom call. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) I know, I got all dressed up too. You can't see it. I did too, I have makeup on. (laughs) I did too. I've started doing it more now. I don't know, I'm still not really leaving the house, but um, just because I don't really have any place to go. Right. just in case, you know, just in case. Oh, um, I want to start at the very beginning with you because I'm just really not sure about this, the answer to this question. I want to know how you start, started to write, or if there was a book that turned you into a writer one day. Oh, I have just always loved reading. Like I, I, I started reading really early. My mom said I started reading when I was three and I just, there was never enough books. Um, and I remember my family was really we were really poor growing up and my mom read romances. She got those Harlequin monthly subscriptions, you know, the, the, the four mm-hmm. books kind of a time. And my dad was really into fantasy and like sci-fi. And so that's kind of what I cut my teeth on growing up because I would have nothing to read. So I would go read my parents' books, you know, cause I was so bored and I just wanted something to read. Um, but I never really considered being a writer, to be honest. Like it just hadn't occurred to me. I, I've always loved reading. And what ended up happening was my son was diagnosed with autism when he was almost three years old and there were therapies that he needed that were really expensive. And, you know, we did not have the money, like it was $10,000 and it, you know, it might as well have been 10 million. Like there just was no way. Um, so I kind of thought about it and prayed about it and meditated about it. What do I, what do I do? How do I help him? How do we get this money? Cause this is before like GoFundMe. I mean, there was no way to really do that, you know, get that kind of money, you know, fundraising. And so we, we tried some different things. And one of the things we did was uh, several people from our church donated items for a multifamily garage sale. And so I thought, let's get as much people there as we can. And so I sent out press releases to the local papers, hoping that, you know, that they would cover this. And then I actually had a reporter reach out to me and say, you know, can I come interview? And I said, sure. And she came to the house. And before she stepped inside, she goes, I just have to ask you, are you a writer? And I was like, that's really weird. You know, like, why would you ask me that? And she's like, I just assumed that you were a writer from the way that you, these were so well written. And so I thought with my kind of thinking and praying about it was to write a book and here's someone saying, write a, you know, you're a writer. And I'm like, all right, universe, I got it. I'll write a book. Um, and that's kind of what got me started. And I had I published a book a couple of years after that for a small regional publisher. So. That's so inspiring. I love that. And yes, it was definitely a sign that, because um, a press release isn't really. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like it's not like unless a you were writing art. like a, a ten thousand word press release. No, I mean, it was. I used. I, I like. I researched it. It should be short. It should be to the point. You know. And yeah, I don't know why. Like I said, it was. I felt like she was inspired to say that to me. You know, mm-hmm. and because I was supposed to be on this path. So. Yeah, I can relate to that so much about you reading early, um, and also I. I'll share. I don't know if I've shared this before on the podcast. I might have, I forget what I say, but um, I actually had a severe speech language disability when I was three. 
and I was diagnosed with it. And they used, even though my disability was speech related, they used reading as a way to like get my language skills back up. So I was taught how to read and I read from a very early age. And my mom was like, well, here's my historical books. <laughs> Cause yeah. she didn't know what else to give to me. <laughs> and um, so I relate to like many aspects of that story. Um, and my grandma would always, um, she had the Harlequins, but I don't think she really liked, she read them because I think she was just liked to read something. Like she was mm-hmm. just kind of like a, she was a farmer's wife who just liked to read stuff, but she would always give me like the thicker historical romance books. And, you know, here I am 40 years later, yep. <laughs> still reading those same stories. Yeah. Um, but out of all of those, like, what would you say, did you have a favorite book as a child or a teen that you just were drawn into? Oh, that's going to be hard. I'm sitting here thinking, um, I remember I read Ballet Shoes. Is that what the title of it? The three girls who are adopted, the Fossil Sisters? Yes. I, say I read that red. over and over as a little girl. Like, I just thought, I don't know, like going back and rereading it, I'm like, why did I like this book so much? But I guess it just felt so glamorous to me that these adopted girls who are orphans and had these horrible lives were taken in by this wealthy man and were able to do all these neat Hollywood things. I don't know. I just thought it was really cool when I was young. Um, and then I think when I was a teenager, I got really into um, the Shannara series by Terry Brooks. Like my dad was super into that. And I, I got so into it that when I went to college, um, I think my freshman year, that author came to my school's um, bookstore to sign books. And like, I am there, you know, with like two books for him to sign. Like I was so excited to meet him and he told me he loved my name. I said, you can put it in a book. He hasn't, you know, and that was 30 years ago. He hasn't done it yet, but still hoping, you know, um, but yeah, that's, I, I was so into fantasy, like fantasy light, I think is what those are. Those aren't like super thick, like Tolkien kind of fantasies, but yeah, I enjoy them. Okay. Now I have to ask, I'm not sure. Have you ever dipped your toe into writing fantasy or have you written any? I haven't. And you know, I want to, like I get ideas all the time. Cause I will tell you, that's probably like my relax kind of genre, you know, sit and read, especially YA mm-hmm. fantasy. Like I love it. I lap it up. It is my, you know, whenever I see one, I'm like, Ooh, I have to read that. But, um, I have so many ideas and, you know, it kind of everybody, my team is like, you write romantic comedies, contemporaries kind of, you know, stay in your lane, stay where, see where your fans want you to be. And so I think if I ever have a kind of an opening in my schedule, I'm hoping that I'll, I'll get to try to write it one day. I may not be any good at it. You know, I may try to write it. People go, this is garbage. What are you doing? So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, I would love to, but yeah, I have so many ideas, so many things that I've actually like plotted out and sat and thought about and the magic of you know, the world's magic for that thing. I don't know. Okay. I'll talk about it for a while. So we'll, we'll go on something else. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I don't want your team mad at me. So yes, stay with rom-coms because you are excellent at that. But you know, okay. on I have a friend who calls this her son, stuff like this, her Sunday book. Like on right. Sundays when she has some extra time, she might like play around with other ideas. So, uh, Soraya's team, do not get mad at me. <laughs> for mentioning they won't. That. They won't. I would also like to know, I've been asking everyone, what are three things that have brought you joy recently? Okay. Three things that have brought me joy recently. Um, I mean, the profound, deep answer is my family. Like, of course, I adore them and that they've been very beneficial and supportive and 
so important to helping with this pandemic and being here with them. Like, that's just like, I don't know how I would have done this without them. Um, and it's actually been in some ways nice to have my kids around all day. Like, you know, they're, they're 12 and four, almost 14 now and getting to spend time with them, even though they don't want to, it's been kind of fun, but, um, I have really been into rewatching Survivor and I don't know what it is about that show, but like people are so awful and horrible on it, but man, am I enjoying it? Like, I am just like, like, it makes me happy to sit down and turn on an episode of Survivor, you know? Um, I don't know why, I don't know if it's just so escapist or just, I can turn my brain off completely when I'm watching it. Uh, but yeah, that, and then gosh, Dove ice cream bars, like, Ooh. everybody should have a box of those in their home. Like seriously, eating a dove ice cream bar with my family while watching Survivor is like the best. That sounds so awesome. <laughs> Sorry, those and are I'm, like more profound or no, something, but yeah. No, I think that the last year, um, we're recording this in April, 2021. Um, I think that the last year has made me realize too, like it's some simple things in life that I'm just like, Wow, yeah. like a quiet day that I can sit in my backyard and and write in my journal or you know just just things like that that sound lame to anyone else but it's like wow I've I don't think I've ever appreciated them the way I can appreciate them now and it's and like yeah. and I I'm with I think Survivor it's I I've done that too. I've gotten into it with my kids now that they're like at a stage where I can watch things like that with them. And yeah. it's kind of true. It's just like it's I think it's all in the editing though. Like they edit it. So it's, it's just compulsive. It's like a, a bag of Doritos. Like, well, yeah. yeah. Why, why don't you just watch six episodes of this? Because it keep, they yep. keep it moving and, and the way they can do it. I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's an interesting uh, art form. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, I love the whole streaming thing just to begin with. It's like, I mean, I hate that Disney like takes Mandalorian and I have to wait every week. I mean, it makes sense. That's how regular TV works, but I, I hate it. But at the same time, I'm like, I love things that I probably would not have loved if I could not have sat down and watched the whole season at once. You know, I yeah. actually did that with WandaVision, that I, I didn't watch WandaVision week by week. I watched it when it was all over and I thought I loved it so much. And maybe I would have loved it the same watching it week by week or I would have been more frustrated because I had to wait to find out what was happening. Um but I like that I can move through it so quickly. So yeah, I, I think binging is awesome. And I have to be careful because yeah. yeah, I will get into something and be like, I know it's three in the morning, but I have to see how this ends. So, you know, let's talk later. Yeah. yeah I mean, can you imagine going through the last year without streaming services? I keep telling my kids and they're like, okay, grandma, I'll shut up. But I'm like, y'all, we have pandemic in like the best time in history to pandemic i mean right. this is like nothing we can stay at home we can watch whatever we want on tv we can have groceries delivered to us yep. i mean go back to the middle ages and they would show you like how bad pandemics can get. right i mean it, it really was and i actually saw someone say something to the effect of you know if the pandemic has shown us anything it's that art and artists are unnecessary and i'm like what what what? what are you doing during the pandemic? What are you doing? You're watching movies and TV shows and you're reading books, you know, like art is supplying all of your needs right now. You know, people started doing art in their homes and people started um, playing instruments they never played before and painting by numbers and doing the diamond. I mean, everyone yeah. went to some kind of art to pass the time. That person was 
Okay, I don't want to call them stupid, but we need to rethink that. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought that was just so interesting because I thought, yeah, the artists are, and letting, like you said, letting you explore art. My, my daughter was doing that a lot. She's done so many different kinds of crafts and gotten into like doing acrylic nails and just really expressing herself and, you know, that she had the time to do that, so. But actually that brings me to uh, my next topic, which is your book that just released this week. Congratulations, The Seat Filler. And this was what I really just wanted to talk to you about the whole time. Anyway, I got a early copy of your book and it was like a Friday night. We didn't have anything to do. And I told my family, I'm like, I'm going to go into the living room and read this book. And that is what I'm doing tonight. And I did not get up from the couch until I finished. <laughs> and it was so good. I think I started uh, doing an Instagram story about how much I hated you because I'm like, yeah. how do you make this book so good? It's like the best and worst thing for another author. Like I love it. And I'm also like, I can't ever do anything this good. So can you tell I'm not nice. I'm a fan. I'm a reader who just like was transported for like three hours on a Friday night. And it was the best time, just me, myself and I and your characters. And um, I would just love for you to tell everyone about the seat filler, Um, like what it's about, how you got the idea, anything you want. Oh, I hate when people ask me this question because what it's about. I'm like, it's about a couple who fall in love. You know, like, that's my answer. Like, this is why writers don't do that stuff. Okay, right? so like, what? Okay, I, I, so the seat filler is um, a person who is a professional who goes into like award shows and like fills the seats when other people get up. Is right? Am I saying right? That right? Yeah, I mean, there it's it's a volunteer position. You don't get paid. Oh, oh, you um, don't get paid. Oh, okay. No, you do not get paid. So everybody who does it is a volunteer. And it's just for the, I guess, the the high of getting to maybe sit next to you, some of your favorite people. I've actually met a woman online after I wrote the book who uh, is a seat filler. And she said she got one of her events. She sat next to John Hamm for most of the night. And he was very flirtatious and said, oh, you're my my date tonight, you know, which is very sweet and kind to her. Um but yeah, it's just the chance to go sit there. But mostly you're standing early in the morning. You have to get there and you're standing around in formal wear all day, hoping that you get called to sit in the seat. And so now it's very interesting to me to watch now that I know about it. Like when I'm watching, you know, when they come back from commercial and like I was watching one where you see Leo DiCaprio walk in and there's someone in his chair and he doesn't even say anything. He just stands in front of her and she just immediately gets up and runs away. I'm like, cause she was a seat filler, you know, like it was her job to get up and move so that he could sit down. Um, so I've always thought that was such an interesting thing. Like how fun would that be to do? And it was, I did research on it and it's actually hard to find much information about it because they sign very strict NDAs. So people are not really willing to break those to talk about what their experiences are like. But I did find out, so the rules in the book, the rules of the seat filler are, are real. They're all real. Um, that's what you have to do. You're not allowed to talk to the celebrities. You're not, you have to pass by them in the rows in a certain way. Um, you have to be in a seat or behind the curtain during you know, when the cameras are on. Uh, so I thought how fun. And so the, the, the reason the story came about was last year, I, I like to do charity auctions and I, I've gotten to do some really fun things. I got to go on the set of like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which was my favorite TV show at the time on the final season and be there all day. Um, gotten to talk to some of my favorite people on Zoom. You know, it's just been really, really cool. And so last year there was this 
won to go to the SAG Awards and meet Adam Driver. And I had just seen the last Star Wars and I had questions like, is there an alternate ending where Ben Solo does not die? I'm very upset about Ben Solo dying. He shouldn't have been, he shouldn't have been killed. Um, so I thought I'll ask Adam Driver. Like now I look back like that was just a stupid thing to think. But uh, so I won this auction and I took my, she was 12 years old then, my daughter. And we went out and it was just, we got dressed up and, you know, but it's, you stand at these bleachers that are next to the red carpet. So there's like no access, you know, you're up here and the celebrities are kind of down further to the ground. And so I just got to meet so many famous people. Like it was just like childhood idols, you know, like Carrie Elvis comes over and I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, as you wish, you know, as he's signing an autograph for me. And like Gabrielle, uh, I'm going to mispronounce her last name, Carteris from 90210. Yes. She's actually the SAG president. And so I'm like, Gabrielle, like, and I'm probably the only woman in the audience who's like, oh my gosh, 90210. And that was when they'd done the reboot and it had just gotten canceled. I told her I'm so sad. And she's like, you never know, you know, it might come back. Um, I'm like, oh, I hope so. But, you know, and for me, one of the huge ones was Henry Winkler. <gasps> because my mom tells me the story that as a baby, I would sit on the floor and put up both my thumbs and go, hey, she's like, before you could talk, you were imitating the Fonz. So it's like, I have literally watched him my whole life. Like I've just always loved him and been such a fan. So when he saw him, I called him over, he came over and he signed my daughter's autograph book and he wrote to her, um, you are so strong. I thought, what a sweet thing to say, you know? Oh. And he goes, and he told her, he goes, you are just such a beautiful girl. And I was like, Henry Winkler just called my daughter beautiful. Like it was just so awesome. <laughs> and he looked over to me and he's like, I hope you're having fun with your sister. I'm like, you know, I'm her mother, you know, it, just, it was so sweet. It was just such a great interaction. Um, but the thing about these, these things is that when people are going past, a lot of celebrities just walk by you, you know, Nicole Kidman and Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston, they just flew through, you know, they, they, they would wave, but they did not stop for any of the fans. And so to try to get someone to come over, I mean, you literally were having to scream their names, you know, it's so everybody's doing that. All the reporters are yelling for them or their publicists and everybody in the bleachers are yelling for them to come over and sign autographs. So it was, it was so loud. So I think like that's important because it's hard to know what happened because it's that loud, but um, yeah, so we just had this great time and, you know, getting ready to meet Adam. And I saw when he came over, cause he's like a head taller than everybody else. And he's walking straight towards us. And, and I didn't know much about him at that point, other than I really liked him in star Wars. And I was a huge fan of his work in that movie. And I had asked some people beforehand, kind of what should I do? Cause they were big fans and they had met him and they said, Oh, he's kind of socially awkward and he hates red carpets. So you're going to have to carry the conversation. And I'm like, I can do that. No problem. Sure thing. <laughs> and he walks over and my brain turned off. I do not know what happened. I, he's just, this like large man. Like he's just kind of imposing. And I was stunned by it. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I can't tell you what the combination of things were that were happening, but I couldn't talk. And I made that poor man do the whole conversation by himself. Aww. And he had to ask, he had to ask me questions more than once. Once I couldn't hear him. The other time he's like, where are you at in Utah? And I thought, why does Adam driver care where I live in Utah? Like that was literally my thought at the time. And of course now I'm thinking he's coming over for dinner. He's coming over for dinner. You know, I don't know. It was just such a, I don't even know why I even thought that like he's making small talk. That was the explanation, you know, and yes. my brain didn't recognize that at the time. So he was very sweet and he signed autographs and took pictures with us and thanked us for donating to his charity and for coming out. Um, like I said, I'm just basically responding when he talks to me in very short little clip. Yep. We were happy to do it. 
yep, thanks. You know, like it was like that. And, you know, he walked away. My daughter had been upset about, cause we had to get up like at four 30 in the morning to be there. And I asked her, you know, well, was it worth it? And she's like, yeah. And as he's walking away, I'm like, this is a book. This is a book. A girl meets her mm-hmm. favorite celebrity at an award show and she can't talk. I'm like, I'm going to turn my, my awkwardness into a novel, you know? So that's where that story came from. And I literally went home that night. Um, I had been in touch with his publicist assistant to coordinate all of this, you know, for him to come over. And I told her, and I thanked her again for her help. And I said, I'm going to turn this into a book. Like I'm an author and this is going to be a book. And I called my agent and she was just like, so, I mean, she's in New York. She's four hours behind, you know, ahead of us. And I was just like, it's like 12 or one in the morning and I'm calling her. And she was so (laughs) excited. And she's just like, I love this. This is going to be so great. My editor was so excited. Everybody was just so excited. And it was, I mean, it was hard to write because it's pandemic writing, which I have found to be harder. I don't know about you. Um, I, yeah. I found it to be harder. I've, I've had some author friends who are like, oh, I just get so much done. And it's so easy. And I'm like, the world is crushing my soul. And I find it very hard to make light, frothy books when that's happening, you know. But so it was a little bit hard to write because of, you know, the world. But it was it was a joy. I really had fun. Um, and for me, the story I always tell people is, you know, I had a sister die when I was 17. She was special needs and she had a really bad seizure and she died. And of course we were all just destroyed and devastated. My mom, most of all, understandably. And one of the things that I remember her doing is she was watching a lot of movies and reading a lot of books. And I asked her, you know, why, why are you watching so many movies? And she said, because for two hours I get to forget, I get Mm -hmm. to feel the burden gets lightened for a couple of hours to be, of course, then it comes back and it's so hard. It's so painful. And she's like, but this lifts my soul. And so kind of when I got into writing, that was always my goal. I just want to make someone's life a little bit easier for a couple hours, you know, that you, you're just in this place where you're transported and it's light and it's fun and you have a good time and all these other things that are happening for a few hours don't seem as bad and they're not there because you're just hanging out in this world I've made for you. So, I mean, it makes me so happy that you're like, Oh, I just, it was, I was so happy to maybe happy reading it like that. That's all I could ask for. I escaped. And that's what I love about books and reading them and writing them is the idea that a book can help someone escape for a few hours. Yes. So I totally agree with you. Um, and- it's a gift to give and a gift to receive. So thank you for giving people that gift. Um, I was going to say that when I see Adam Driver next to other people, because I always assume that celebrity men, actors, <laughs> Yeah. are probably a good three, four shorter, three, four inches shorter than they seem on, on camera. But I think he looks like you see him in person or when I see him, you know, in pictures, I'm like, oh, he's like three, four inches taller than he seems on, he, uh, on screen. He is like, like I said, he is imposing. And I, I got to have a Zoom call, another charity auction with the director, Ryan Johnson, the guy who did Knives Out and The Last Jedi. And yeah. delightful, delightful man. But I told I him I worship Knives Out, by the way. Yeah, like how good that. is that? So, Knives uh, Out 2 and writer, 3. Is... I'm like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, Knives Out 2 and 3 is coming to Netflix. They're paying this man $100 million to make Knives Out 2 and 3. So, <sighs> oh, worth it. Yeah, okay, go it's ahead. coming. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but anyways, he's he's brilliant. But I told him this story because if you, you've read the seat filler, I mentioned him in the book. And I'm like, you know, mm. they ask her who's her favorite director. And she's like, Ryan Johnson, that guy's awesome. You know, Knives Out is so good. And so, oh, sorry, that was my phone. Um, <laughs> okay. Let me just power it off. 
I thought I had done that. So I can edit. That's fine. <laughs> okay. So I was, I read him that part. And it's funny because one of my editors said, you should take out this reference to Ryan Johnson. Like nobody's going to get it. And I'm like, well, it's for me. I love him. You know, I, I want it in there. And like how grateful I was a year later when he had a charity auction that I had that in the book, you know, that I hadn't taken it out. Um, but I read it to him and he was just giggling. He's just like, oh, thank you. That's so awesome. You know, it's so kind of you. But so I had to tell him the story that I just told you of meeting Adam Driver and how that went. And he just laughed all through that story. And he's like, when I got to the part about him being a big man, he's like, yeah, he goes, seeing Adam in person for the first time, he goes, it is like seeing a Clydesdale in person for the first time. It is just, he's such a big man. I mean, you know, that when you see a Clydesdale horse, it's like, you know, it's this big horse. So I thought that was a very apt description that is, it is very much like that. It's almost kind of shocking that he's, I don't know, he is very tall and he's broad and he just has this presence too. So it, it all kind of just works together and it makes him, and he's such a kind of a serious and intense person that I think that sort of makes it all kind of scarier too. But I'm sure he's a fabulously nice, he was so nice to us. He was so kind and polite and gracious, but you know, if you've ever seen him in pictures, he's almost always not smiling. He doesn't enjoy that stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, your hero in the seat filler is, um, is swoony and sweet and kind and, um, it's just, it's such a satisfying book. Again, I want everyone out there to read it and pass it along to their girlfriends who need a f three hours on a Friday night <laughs> to just escape. It's so wonderful. And since the book is about a celebrity crush, do you want to share with us who your celebrity crush might've been when you were younger? Was it Henry Winkler? I No, it wasn't him. I did have a lot. I was the kind of girl, I made money from babysitting and tutoring and I would literally go down to the local grocery store and I would buy every copy of every teen magazine that was out there, you know, and I would take them home and I would cut out the pictures and put them up on my wall. Like my, my, I had a wall that was just covered with pictures. I loved, I'm a fangirl. I loved everybody, but um, I did actually get to meet one of my crushes when I was 17. I was at Disneyland okay. with, with my best friend, Kenyatta, and we got in line at the ATM. She needed some money. And standing in front of me is actor Stephen Dorff. And oh. if you see his face, you know who he is. He's the guy in the Aerosmith crying video, um, Britney Spears' Every Time video, and he's been in tons of movies and TV shows. It's one of those things that you may not recognize. It's not like a household name. When you see his face, you're like, I know that guy. Like, you've seen him and stuff. So mm -hmm. I had had, I, I knew who he was. And he's standing there in front of me with his two friends. I'm telling my best friend, I'm like, that's Stephen Dorff. And she's like, what? Who? No idea who he was. And he turns around and he goes, Hey, how's it going? I'm like, you're Steven Dorff, aren't you? Like, no chill, no cool. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I have you on my wall because I did. I had pictures of him on my wall and he laughs. His friends are laughing. And I'm like, I have to get a pen because you know, there is no selfies. You know, this is back in prehistoric times. And so I went looking for a pen. I mean, I don't talk to strangers. I'm asking every stranger I come across, do you have a pen? Do you have a pen? Do you have a pen? And I finally find one and I bring it back and I have him sign my ticket stub to show that I met him, you know, and prove it. And I, I don't know. He's just like, you guys just hanging out. I'm like, yeah. And then they went to the ATM and I'm just standing like, I can't believe Stephen Dorff is here. And he goes, so my friends and I are going over to Metropolis tonight at seven o'clock. That's back when that was like a dance club for teens in Finland. And he said, and I said, oh, I have to meet my mom at seven o'clock. And he's like, oh, <laughs> okay. 
Bye. And so my friend like turns and she's like, what is wrong with you? I said, what? She goes, he literally just asked you out and you said, no, thanks. I said, no, he didn't. She's like, yes, he did. And I'm like, what? And so she gets her money and we go looking for him. And we went to the club at that time. My mom said, I have to go to the club. Didn't find him. And I'm thinking that's probably a very good thing. I was a very naive, very innocent 17 year old. And he was a 19 year old TV star. So probably a good thing in my world, but yeah, that's my, uh, he was my celebrity crush and he asked me out and I accidentally said no. I think there's like a scene that's sort of like that in the seat filler, isn't there? There probably is. I, I probably I took a lot of that kind of stuff where <laughs> I thought, you know, people are like, you know, is this character you? I'm like, no, she is not me. She's not at all. But do I take my life experiences and put them in the books? Absolutely. You know, it, it, I think it informs it in a way that it makes it feel more real, you know, like it could happen because hi, it did happen, you know? Um, that, yeah. That's com- so. completely relatable. I mean, every semi-awkward girl in the world can relate to that story. Like someone like, I mean, like, you want to hang out? No, I got to meet my mom. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. And I, and it's funny that day I was there to see my other teenage crush. There was a group called the party who had been formed from members of the new Mickey mouse club. And one of the singers was a guy named Chase Hampton. And oh my gosh, did I have a crush on Chase Hampton? I loved him. I loved that group. I listened to all their albums. And it's like very few people I meet our age know who I'm talking about. You know, like, really? What was that? They know that like Mickey Mouse Club, like Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera all came from it. But I'm like, I was with the older group, you know, the, the people that were older than that, those kids. And they formed a, a band that I, we, he and I talked about. I said, if they'd been formed... 10 years later, you guys would have been a number one best-selling group, but it was like right before grunge came out and it was just like, it killed pop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, I, I such a crush on them. And so we got, cause I was a member of their fan club. We got free tickets to go see them that day, which is why I was there. Cause I could never afford to go to Disneyland, but so I was there to see him. And funnily enough, you know, I'm, I'm part of like, they have like a Mickey mouse club. I don't know, like fan thing that I'm still a part of just to see what they're doing. Like, I just, I think it's fun to hear what everybody's up to. And so they did a Christmas album last year where they were giving all the proceeds to current Disneyland and Disney World employees to help them with their wages, you know, from not being able to work. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really cool thing. And so I thought about the album to help support that. And then they had these little things like you could bid money to do things with different cast members. And one of them was for like 50 bucks, you can talk to Chase Hampton. And I'm like... I don't even know what I would say to this man, but like there is a 14 year old girl inside me who would never forgive me if I did not take this chance. So I did it and I got to talk to him. It was only like 10 minutes long. He was so sweet and it was so much fun talking about my memories of him and the group. And um, I wrote a book called Starstruck a few years ago and I named the hero Chase and it was named after him. Like my hero is nothing like him as a person. It's just, I, that's a name that means something to me. And I told him that and he asked me to send him a copy. He gave me his home address. And I'm like, again, 14 year old self, I've been like, where do we get to the airport and fly out to find his home? You know, um, that was just so cool to me that he gave me his home address. Like, I will I was hand just, deliver this. Yeah, I'll bring it to you. What do you, you know? But he said, if you ever go to Disney World, I want you to, to, call, to get in contact with me, like on Facebook or Instagram and we'll hang out. Like I'll bring my wife, you bring your husband and we'll hang out. I thought that was so cool. Like what a nice gesture, you know? And I think he's serious. I think if I really went to Orlando, I think he would show up and hang out with me. So that is really nice. Fun. It's really, that's what I was thinking when you were telling the story about Henry Winkler is that these celebrities or 
quasi celebrities or whatever they are <laughs> is that it's when they are truly kind people and they don't have to be like I don't yeah. judge a Nicole Kidman for walking by people because oh, I don't either she probably has to have so many boundaries in her life and yes. she's spent her whole career you know dealing with that I don't judge that but the ones who go a little out of their way to make someone feel special that's that's priceless that's really really kind I totally totally agree with you I I just think like you said, there's just so many lines that have to be drawn and ways that they have to protect themselves that when people make that kind of that overture, it, funnily enough, what I was doing the research for seat filler, there was a seat filler who talked about, she got set, sat next to, I mean, this is obviously like back in the nineties, next to Harry Connick Jr. And he just kept talking to her and invited her to an after party and made sure she got in, you know, so that she could hang out with celebrities. I'm like, how cool is that? You know, just how awesome is that to do something like that? So yeah, it, it is yeah. nice because I think I think it's very easy to be in Hollywood and kind of maybe get full of yourself because you're surrounded mm-hmm. by people who are just always telling you how wonderful and awesome and talented you are. Um, so I think it's got to be a struggle to stay humble. It's got to be a struggle to stay kind of down to earth and it has to be hard. But yeah, it's, I think it's, it's to me much, much more impressive when it's like people will go that extra mile and they will be really kind and do things that they don't have to do. Yeah. Well, I have to ask, because I'm asking everyone, um, what are you reading now? What's on your TBR list? What's on your uh, books bookshelf or your bedside table? What am I reading now? I'm going to open my Kindle thing to see what I've been looking at. Because... Oh, it's on your Kindle. I know. Yeah. Kindles are hard, though, because you don't see the covers all the time. So I'm, right. like, I'm reading something, but <laughs> I don't uh, know. What what I, so I've been reading Kevin Kwan's Sex and Vanity. That's oh, interesting. That? I'm... It's moving a little slow, but you know, Crazy Rich Asians moved a little slow in the beginning too. So I'm, I'm giving it a chance. You know, I'm kind of waiting. Um, I just finished uh, a series. The last book is called Stormbreak. The series is called Seafire. It's a YA fantasy. That was really good. I enjoyed that. Um, The last book that I really, couple last couple books I really loved that I read was one of them was a YA book called Lore. It had a really fascinating premise. It's the Greek gods have pissed off Zeus and as a punishment every seven years for one week, they're made mortal. And so if somebody kills them, they get their power. So there's all these descendants of Greek heroes like Jason and Achilles and Perseus who their families all revolve around this hunt and to get the chance to become a God and get God's powers and how it blesses your family to be able to, you know, have these godlike powers and influence the world. So it's a girl whose family has been wiped out. She's the only one left and she wants nothing to do with it, but she kind of gets dragged back into it, kicking and screaming when Athena shows up on her doorstep. It was fascinating. It was just so well done. Like it's one of those books you just can keep turning pages to see what's going to happen. Um, the ending was a little flat for me. I, I kind of thought, I think because I thought it was going to be a series, like it was going to be like two or three books, but it's a standalone. So um, mm. I think if maybe if I had adjusted my expectations and wasn't expecting it to go on for another couple more books, it would have been different, <laughs> yeah. but you know, so it's like, wait, it's it's over? What? You know, but uh, the other one I read that I thought had such a great premise and just kept you turning pages too, it was called The Inheritance Games. It's another YA book. Um, it's about a girl who gets a phone call that one of the richest billionaires in the world has left his fortune to her. She doesn't know this man. There's no relation. Never met him. Why would this happen? Why would he leave? Like, it's like something like, it's something like $40 billion. Why would he leave $40 billion to this teenage girl? 
and she has to move into the house and he's got Why? these three grandsons Why? I know. <laughs> who, whom I think are love interests. Yeah. Well, I'm not telling you, you're going to have to read it. Cause mm. that's like, it drives the whole book because <laughs> you're the whole time you're going, why did he do this? Cause she's like, why did he do this? And how she adjusts to this life. Like she goes to this hotel with one of her new lawyers and she's like, we can't afford to stay here. We have like a five-star hotel. And she's like, Oh honey, you own this hotel. You know, like how different your life would be, you know, that you have to have constant bodyguards because there are people who would kill you for this money without even thinking, kidnap you in a second, you know? So it's, it was really interesting. And the, the writer is a psychologist. So the way she delves into the characters, like it's one of those things you're reading and you almost want to weep because you're like, I could never do this. I could never write characters this way because they're just so well drawn and just so well explored. It's, it's, I really recommend that one. Oh, that does sound good. Um, what did you read for comfort during the pandemic? Did your reading preferences change or did you reach for something that you didn't normally reach for? I actually found, and I don't think I'm alone in this. I actually found reading difficult to do in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if other people felt this way, but I had a hard time sitting down and concentrating on reading a book. And it was actually really painful for me that I, I was like, am I losing this? Am I losing the ability to read? Like what's happening? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I spent a lot more time watching TV and watching movies and binging because it was so mindless. Like I didn't have to engage anything. It could just be given to me. And I found that a much more, a much easier form of entertainment. So I, I would sense. say for the first few months that I didn't really read at all. And it, it's been the last few months that, yeah, I've been reading, like I said, a lot of YA fantasy because I love it. And just kind of, I'm like you, I'm like just kind of eclectic mix of what sounds interesting to me. What's kind of, you know, topping the charts and what are people talking about? What are my friends talking about? Um, I do find that I don't read as much romance, especially when I'm writing. Like I'm so mm-hmm. concerned that I'm going to absorb something of someone else. And it's so funny because it's this fear that all authors share. And yeah. uh, Sarah Adams writes rom-coms like me. And she wrote me, she's like, oh my gosh, I have a book I'm writing right now. Cause she just wrote the seat floor. We're the best friends and interior decorator. And she's helping her get this job. I didn't steal it from you. And I laughed and I'm like, Sarah, I know you didn't like, of course we all it's romance. Like there's only so many things we can do. Right. right. I, I, I'm always just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't think people take stuff from me. I just think it's all out there and we kind of just tap into it. But yeah, I'm terrified of doing it myself. So I, I get the concern and the fear, but cause it's so easy just to take something you hear and put it in your book and not even know where you got it from, you know? Yeah. So Totally. Well, and that's, I think, why, I mean, I always say I write, I read a lot of historical romance, probably yeah. for a lot of that reason, because I can't, like, steal, like, they're making out in a carriage <laughs> or something. Right, right. There's no carriages. Yeah. But yeah, I find that a lot, too, that I, I especially with rom-coms, like, I want to read other rom-coms, but, like, I'll tell you, my friend Cindy Madsen put up just a little tweet of one of the books she'd written about how, so the, the, the heroine's talking to one of her friends, and she's saying he's a nerd like me. And a friend goes, Oh, he's right up your Diagon alley. I'm like, that is such a great line. I am so jealous that she wrote that, you know? And I'm like, and so I'm so afraid I'm going to put that in a book by accident now and not remember that I got it from Cindy Madsen. So making myself accountable. Here. Yes. <laughs> so Ryan, this has been so fun, but I think it's time for the lightning round. Are you ready? All right. I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. Dark or milk chocolate? Uh, milk. Coffee or tea? Neither. I don't drink either one. 
Um, when your phone rings, do you answer your phone? Yes. How do you usually waste time on the internet? Oh my gosh, social media, which I need to stop doing. <laughs> freedom, the freedom app as a, uh, can can slice your time in half. I'll, I should do I that. Give you details on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, where will you go first after travel restrictions are eased, and what do you want to do? I actually think I know where I'm going first. I, I'm I'm scheduled to go to Paris next year. Do one of those rare signings. Ooh. And it's my daughter has wanted to go to Paris her entire life. Like it's she's talked about it literally since she was like three or four years old. So uh, that's where I'm hoping to go next year, next April. So you're saying she'll be your assistant and you she don't be my assistant. to come as your assistant. I know. I'm sorry. But yeah. She's going to be my <laughs> assistant and care, help me carry stuff. She's like, I'll do your makeup. She will. She'll do a much better job of makeup than I will. She's so talented. But yeah. So Plus that's where I think I'll get to go first. Paris is one of my favorite places in the world. So I've that's never really been special. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. My sister used to live there. So. Um, oh, fun. It was fun to get to go visit someone who had their own apartment and was like, Yeah. <laughs> We didn't do anything fancy when we were there, but uh, we got to go. Yeah. Um, anyway. Okay. Here's a fun one. You receive a $1,000 check from the Ministry of Self-Care and you are only allowed to spend it on yourself. What do you buy? That is a good one. You know what I would go buy? I would go buy books and I would go buy bath bombs and I would go buy Dove ice cream bars. That sounds like a good <laughs> afternoon to me. Perfect. I want, okay. that is a really good idea. <laughs> I won't invite myself to that one. I'll do my own yeah. party. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. And very important last question. What are your feelings about turning to the last page of a book first? I cannot do it. That's how my mom is. My mom, it's, and that's why she reads romance because it has to turn out happy for her. If it doesn't turn out well, she won't read it. Like she'll read the last page and is like, nope, not doing it. And I get that. Mm -hmm. But for me, like that book I told you about the inheritance games, if I had turned to the end and spoiled the ending for myself, like it would have, for me, it would have wrecked the whole book. You know, it was all about that suspense. Um, and the thing with reading romance that's so great too, is like, you, you know, that it's going to end well, it's all going to be okay. Even if it's really hard right now and you're worried, you know, that it's going to end up good. So yeah, I, I don't do a lot of last page turning. I probably should do it more because there have been books I've just been like, oh, why did I read this? Because <laughs> I'm a romance author. I want things to end up happy and good because I feel like real life doesn't always work that way. So it's nice to have a place where you know it will. Yes. We don't want one of those bait and switch things where Ray and Ben are looking into each other's eyes and then someone dies. I don't want one of those endings anymore. I'm just putting that out in the universe. I know. I, yeah. I For me. <laughs> As I'm a like, romance author, that was the worst. Wasn't it? I'm like, that's yes. my big problem with it. I'm like, they're soulmates. They were literally created to be together. They are powerful together, a power unseen in the universe. Like Jedi have been trying for thousands of years to make this thing happen, what they have. And it happens. Mm -hmm. And he turns to be a good person because he wants to be good enough for her. He changes for her. I mean, she won't accept him while he's bad, which I also love because people are like, oh, it's abusive. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not toxic because she will not accept him. As Kylo she Ren. had her boundaries. He, she had yeah, her boundaries. He had to be Ben Solo for her to be with him. And I thought, I love that they loved each other. And I, I'm talking to Ryan Johnson about the second movie. Did you write this romantic? Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. At the end, when he asks her to take his hand, he is literally proposing to her. He is asking her to be his wife and rule the galaxy with him. And, you know, that it was written to be romantic and they just torpedoed it the last movie. And I thought, I don't know if it's just people trying to be savvy or I'm going to change it up and you're not going to know what's going to happen. But, you know, he died and I was like, okay, like something's going to happen. Like he's going to pop out of somewhere else or, and they, I'm realizing that's not going to happen. I'm like, well, at least he'll be a force ghost. And she'll say, be with me, which is what she kept saying to the movie. And he'll go always. I would have dealt with that better. At least then I would have known they were, you know, could still communicate. But the fact that he was just gone, I'm like, this is the son of Han Solo and Princess Leia. And I grew up on those original movies, you know, and all three of those characters sacrificed their lives to save his. They all gave themselves up so that he could live. And so it's beyond bad writing to me that he died. I thought you just negated I mean, all the sacrifice that everybody had done to keep him there. I was trying not to bring this up and we're at the end here. And I'm like, you know what? No, because Soraya's going to get me. Soraya's going to understand. And I got in the car after that movie and I was just saying all the same stuff that you were. And my kids and my husband were like, and I'm like, no, it is clear. There are two types of people in the world, people who understand the happy ending and people who don't understand the happy ending. And this, this was like a Nicholas Sparks ending to what should have. <laughs> right. Like, I'm like, it's not, not a good, cool. or satisf it's not a good or satisfying ending. I thought for no other reason than Ray as the heroine should have gotten her man. You know, I said, does Superman get the girl at the end of the movie? Does Batman? Absolutely. Every time. Right. You know, mm. and my husband's yes. like, well, he can get Catwoman. I said, Christian Bale's character did. He married her and lived a happy life with her. So ha, you know, Batman got Catwoman. It happened. But you know that we let male heroes it's like the reward. I'm like, why couldn't Ray have her reward? Give her Ben Solo. I'd be very happy with that. You know, and for a girl right. who kept telling us, I feel so alone. I have no family. No one understands me. And he says, but I do. And it's true because he is the only person in the universe who understands how she feels, where she's coming from. Her friends at the resistance were not her family. And she said, they don't understand me. She didn't have that that connection to them. I thought her soulmate was the only person who made her feel like she was home. And it infuriates me that not only did they this not do that to her, but they like, she didn't even mourn him. She didn't do anything for him. I said, kind of trying to imagine return of a Jedi where if Luke didn't mourn his father, there's a whole big thing with him taking the body off and bringing it down with him to Endor and having a funeral and saying goodbye to him and then seeing him as a force ghost. Like that feels satisfying. That feels like we saw this character grieve, right? We saw him mm -hmm. go through this. Why didn't we see Ray do the same thing? And I, I talked to Daisy Ridley, who plays Ray. It's another Zoom call I had. And uh, I asked her about those scenes. I said, did you guys cut any lines in those scenes where, you know, he dies? Because it looks like they're talking to each other. Like his smile is in response to something she said. And she's like, no, there was no dialogue. Except for when he dies, I said, no, 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 as he's falling. And I said, of course they cut that. They had to cut that. How painful is that for the audience to see her? Like they were trying to pretend like it was okay. So I think that's why they didn't allow her to mourn because it's just okay. You know, it's like and, a dagger in my gut, a lightsaber right? in my gut. Right? Ugh. It was so awful. So yeah, I, I was very upset. And I, especially because George Lucas has talked for decades about how Star Wars is a fairy tale. It's meant to be a fairy tale. And I feel like happy endings are revolutions, that they are 
you know, such an important part for us, because like I said, so much in real life doesn't go that way. You don't get a happy ending. You don't get, you know, just there's pain. Yeah. There's so much joy and happiness that you do get, but there's so many trials and obstacles that it's so nice to read something or be involved or watch something where, you know, they're going to be okay. And it's going to turn out well. And I'm, so now I'm on the train of, they have to bring him back. I don't care what magic wand they have to wave, but Ben Solo needs to come back. I don't care if you do it in a comic, if you do it in a cartoon, whatever, he just needs to come back. Yeah, they can do it. I mean, this is literally a made up universe. You make up everything in it. You can definitely make this up. But so let's end on the good note. And this is why to the audience out there that you need to buy a Soraya Wilson book because she will never leave you without that hope and that happy ending. And that is why we all go for those kinds of books (laughs) because they, they, they complete the promise. So with that being said, what do you have coming up next after the seat filler? I know you've got another release this year, I think. Yeah. How can people get in touch with you? I've got another release in December. Um, It is called the paid bridesmaid. And it's about a woman who is paid to be a bridesmaid and not let anyone know. And the hero is the best man whose company is about to go public. And he's very worried about corporate spies. So he's pretty suspicious of this woman who claims to be the bride's best friend, but appeared out of nowhere and has no social media. So it's kind of this push and pull of him trying to find out who she is and her trying to protect her secret and help this wedding go off well. Cause there's all kinds of things like, you know, an alcoholic mother of the bride and, you know, just different issues that are happening. Um, it was really fun to write. It's set in location in Hawaii. Cause I had gone there last year for the first time. And, um, not last year, the year before that, sorry, not during the, I didn't go to, not during the <laughs> pandemic. I didn't go to Hawaii. I promise. It was uh, 2019. What is time? It's okay. I know. We like understand. seriously, like I know time. <laughs> I have no concept of it at all. But so that's coming out in December. I, I, I think that'll be really fun. Um, and I haven't written a wedding one before. So that's kind of a first for me too. So that was really, really fun too. And I think to find me, um, my website is SorayaWilson.com or you can find me on Instagram as at SorayaWilson411. That sounds great. Thank you so much for being on today and uh, spreading spreading the joy of the seat filler and celebrity crushes. I know everyone's going to get a kick out of this. Thank you for joining me today. If you love this conversation, please leave a review or consider supporting the podcast at the link in the show notes. For a list of books discussed in this episode and other fabulous content, sign up for my newsletter at womenwithbooks.com. And remember, keep reading.